together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so happy to be gathered together in your house tonight in this very special time. And Lord, it, as you know just exactly how you've dealt with my heart and you know the expectations of the people, this may just seem like an ordinary gathering. But Lord, I believe that you use ordinary gatherings for extraordinary things. It may just seem like a simple service, but from the simple comes the supernatural. So, Father, we all commit ourselves to you, desiring from this moment, from this moment forward, you would have the preeminence in every part of this weekend, in our extracurricular activities, in the fellowship that we'll engage in after the services, Lord, and everything that we would say and do. We're inviting you now to have preeminence. That as you are the central theme of the Bible, Lord, you're going to be the central theme of this weekend. And we do believe that by divine leadership, a pastor has requested this time, not not by carnal unction and not just to have a program. But, Lord, it's the mind of God that is being expressed uh, to the people for a purpose, a divine purpose. And, Lord, just as much as that upper room experience on the day of Pentecost was divinely prophesied and the word was being made flesh in that moment. May we realize that gatherings like this have the, the same significance in heaven. That the same works can be done and the same changing of lives and the moving of God and the fulfillment of prophecy. And Lord, we're not repeating that day. Lord, we're living this day. And Lord, may the word which is to be brought forth in this hour, may it be expressed and may it be made manifest. And we each one commit ourselves to you, desiring you take control of this service for your glory. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to be back together with you. Yeah. Very, very happy to be here. Uh, my smile betrays my nervousness. And uh, my enthusiasm is, is genuine, though, because we're just so happy to be back and to be together with you. And we thank the musicians for their playing. We're going to read from the scripture. And before I did, I wanted just to uh, express how much we love each one of you and how much we love your pastor And in my heart, if I could say this at the outset, God really dealt with my heart so that if I don't seem to minister exactly on this uh, particular subject, I want to say it in the introduction, that God dealt with me tremendously about the legacy that Brother Biskell um, has got, the legacy of God that has come through Brother Biskell's ministry, and how that you are, are participants in that and part of that legacy and the Bible says a good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children. And so any father can leave something to a son, but a good man leaves something that the grandchildren can enjoy. And it's more than wealth. It's more than riches. It's more than lands. It's more than houses. But a, ma- a good man leaves a character and he leaves a testimony, leaves something of value that cannot be the world cannot take away. And I believe there's a tremendous legacy that you've inherited, not to inherit, not to be, but that you've inherited And it's incumbent upon you to see that the vision that God had when it started is fulfilled. And those things turned in my heart tremendously over the last couple months since these services um, had been scheduled. I I preached in February. I preached in March here. I preached in February here. I preached in March here. I took April off. So I'm rested and I'm back here in May to preach again. And some of you trying to scratch your heads. Well, February 28th was the last day in March. It was the first day of camp. So I preached in February, last day of February. I preached in February, March, took April off for my birthday, and now I'm back. <clears throat> in First Samuel chapter 16 is where we'll be reading. 
We read the first 13 verses of 1 Samuel. We appreciate uh, Brother Tom and Sister Joanne. They've been very dear friends to Sister Elizabeth and I. Um, I feel um, the love that he expresses uh, in the words that he shared beforehand. I feel that I could just uh, multiply them and echo them the same for him. He's been a tremendous friend to me and an inspiration. And I, I appreciate the, the, the friendship that we have and the fellowship we have around the things of God. That's been the real strength. Is we're looking, we're reading the same things and seeing the same things and fellowshipping around the same things. And I wanted to also mention happy anniversary to Brother Tim Dodd, Sister Sarah. Today's their fifth anniversary, and we're so happy for them. May God bless them. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. My, what a, what a, what a statement. I have provided me a king from among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. I'm telling you, the lawyer in me just loves that. <clears throat> and, uh, cause some people might think that's a little dishonest, but. He was going for a purpose. He said, well, take a heifer and say you're going to sacrifice so that you don't get killed. And he says, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And it's interesting, I'll say it now, that the naming isn't necessarily how we think the name is. Because couldn't he just said it's David? So he shows up with Jesse and says, hey, I need to speak with David. But the naming, the coming forth, the identification, the choosing, the selecting is different than when we would say calling a name out. And that's important for us to understand in this day when the names on the book um, come into view and the book is being taken. And he says, verse 4, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I'm come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And so he sees the stature, he sees the man, he sees what he is, and he thinks, this has got to be the guy. This has to be the king that was provided by God for himself. And he says, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. It's very important to catch the mind of God. God is expressing something in his character. When he says that he doesn't look outwardly, but he sees something inwardly. Amen. Then Jesse called Enadab and made him pass from before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. And so the choosing is the naming. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are there, are here all thy children? There had been seven, but there was an eight. And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for he will not sit down, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. 
Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and a goodly to look to and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon David from the day that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I appreciated our brother Tom making reference to what we had ministered last time. Um, because it kind of helps to get us all in the frame of mind where we were then. And these meetings are very unique uh, from my perspective. And I believe they're probably the same for you in that we just had a camp and we had uh, five services together. And there's a lot of themes that were preached on, a lot of things that were brought up and that we ministered to you. And then uh, just in a short time later, we gather together again uh, for a very similar purpose. And we covered a lot the last time. We covered everything from my view. We covered everything from your natural birth all the way to the change. We were talking about you're born into chaos, and then we ended up there in the story of Ruth. And so we pretty much covered everything. So if we are to, if the vision was that we come back and visit some of the same things, well, I believe that's possible because we covered it all, it seemed, in those services. But what has impressed upon my heart as I prepared for these uh, today and this weekend was the question of now what? And it is a uh, an important question to ask. And I know there's a lot of different expectations and there might be things that people want to say, well, I hope brother Aaron really deals with this. And I think what he really needs to do is deal with that. And whatever those expectations are, I'm not asking you to leave them or I'm not asking you to change them. I'm just asking you to be patient because we want to, uh, we want to lay a necessary foundation this evening. Uh, don't judge me by the one service. There's two more. Uh, if we're still here and we haven't met in the air, there's still two more. So don't judge it all by this one. But this is a necessary foundation for all of us. And there is no benefit. And this is something God very, struck in my heart very deeply. There's no benefit in inspiring you to something that isn't where the light is shining. And we could come and get you all enthusiastic and, and get the church just pepped up and everybody just kind of be uh, really enthused. But it's a waste of time to inspire you to something that isn't where the light is shining. And so what we endeavor to do and what we want to do is, is take the word of God in the light that is shining on it for the moment that we're living in the time that we're living in. And I just remember Brother Adrian, I, I'm so nervous up here, I forgot to mention our friend Brother Adrian Stefan has come up for these meetings. Um, he's a wonderful brother, him and his wife, Adah, have a beautiful family back home. And he's longed to come to this church for so long. When he heard I was coming, he thought this could be his amp- opportunity to be in fellowship. And Brother Adrian's come with us. I told him he needs to come at a different time. Don't come when I'm preaching, it's going to be different. You need to go when this all-star lineup and one of the all-stars is preaching. Don't come when I'm preaching. But he came anyways, and we, we're glad that he's here. He's been a great strength to us just in traveling here. Now, if you could uh, just focus on this statement as I read the Brother Branham making this, he's, uh, this statement, and I trust that you can bring it into your hearts. He says, to me, I want to see what's promised for the day, not the night, the day. I want to know what the light of the hour is so I can know how to walk in it. You need to know what the light of the hour is so you can walk in it. I want to know where I am living, what age I'm in, and how far up the road I am. His brother Brennan makes that statement a few places, how we're further up the road. 
And we, and it's gone, the light's gone further up the road and that, so we're living in a time in a season that's different than times past. And you can't just try to borrow something from another age and try to make that work and live in it and think you're going to get the results that you need. You need to know what the promise is for the day, the light of the hour, so I can know how to walk in it. And I want to know where I'm living, what age I'm in, and how far up the road I am. And you must know the answers to these questions. And these are questions for adults, and these are questions for young people. You've got to know the answers to these questions to truly know who you are. And as we, if we read things that have statements like the light of the day, or, or things that might seem to be the, the, the mature themes of the message, they're just as much for you young people as they are for anyone else. And we cannot try to take, we can't take the message and somehow trick it out, uh, to be, um, digestible for young people. I think that's doing you a tremendous disservice because I believe that you young people can digest whatever's in the Word of God. And so we're asking the question, now what? After God has moved in such a sovereign way, and, uh, and if we're looking at the view of this, uh, uh, tremendous experiences that we had at camp and however God dealt with you personally, and, and now we come to the question, well, now, and we're gathering together again, now what is the question? And the question now what is, or what now, however you'd want to phrase it, it's a really unique question because it blends the past, the present, and the future together. Because it implies now what is, is being asked in the present, but it's suggesting and it's implying and assuming the past and it's, it's projecting into the future. Here we are today with what has been and what will be. Since that has been and, and this is, then what is next? And I'm going to give you the title I have for tonight's sermon. And I, I told Brother Philip when he called, don't laugh when I give this to you. I'm serious. And it's a unique title. And I really wrestled with it, perhaps wanting to have a different one. But my title tonight is Farmers in the Rapture. Farmers in the Rapture. And if it makes no sense now, stick with me till Sunday, through Sunday. And you might say, you know, I think he's got something there. And in using this subject, I want to address you maturely or even speak to you as, uh, as not just kids or not just young people who, who need a good whipping, but address you maturely to motivate you to your purpose. And, and I'd like to do this in a sense that I, I realize I'm not coming here as a, as someone who's going to be able to add something to what's taking place here to make it better. What you have is, is what you need. We're just standing shoulder to shoulder um, and echoing what has already been said and showing our support. And God uses times like this and ministers like myself to come in a little bit of a one-off from what you normally hear or the way it normally is to hear the same things you've heard before and it sound new. And so the visiting minister gets all the credit and the brothers behind me are like, I can tell you 2014 I preached that, 2017, that was what I preached last Wednesday. And, the, and everyone else is going... How come we're not hearing this? But you are. And so when to, tonight what I want to be able to do in, with this foundation is give context to what has been. And you look at these things that can give context to what you've gone through and things that have transpired. And then give, uh, give relevance to what is. 
the things that are taking place, the things you're experiencing, and then give you an urgency as to the goal that is ahead of us. So there's going to be some context, I think, that you can draw from this uh, and make things relevant, the things that you engage in now and uh, the things that uh, are lifted up, the things that are preached, all the efforts that's put into cultivating a spiritual life. It's going to give it more relevance. And then perhaps I, what I'd really want to see is just a greater urgency in, in our lives and even in our home life and amongst our young people for the things that are to be and it's going to seem strange, I think, with the title that involves farmers. It's going to sound strange already. It's going to seem strange, perhaps, as we start off, but follow very closely. And I trust that you'll listen not only intently, but spiritually. And, and because one thing is certain, you don't ever want to be aimless. I didn't say Amos. I said aimless. You don't ever want to be aimless. And one of the worst things I think sometimes we have is parents who are just aimless. And they're not focused. They don't have a goal. They're things, and they're, therefore, nothing really makes sense really to even the children when things are being said and things are being done. Because it's like, what is this all about? What are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? And so these things can help focus us and give us more attention to the things that are and even the things that will be. And I want to start reading from the sermon, Question and Answers on the Seals. Brother Brandon preaches this the morning before he preaches the seventh seal. And if we could all just, I think it's wonderful the way that Brother Bisco felt in his heart to have us all seat. We have all the campers sitting at the front with their counselors and then the parents behind them. And that's the way parents should always be. They should always be behind their children, supporting them, encouraging them. And I think the dynamics of the service is that you're behind them and you're supporting them and you're present with them in these services. And then you're going to pull on the word. And as you pull on the word, it's got to go through them to get to you. And so you can just pull it right through their, their hearts, pull it right through them as they said in these pews. And I believe it'll have a benefit for all of us. Brother Branham is taking question and answers while he's preaching the seals. And I thought about it, I thought, my, that's just, uh, only a prophet could do this. Actually take questions on the seals while he's preaching them and before he preaches that seventh. And the second question he has asked is, should evangelists continue on the field? Now that's a now what question. Should evangelists continue on the field? And I, I really enjoy going through question and answers. And you find that in these question and answers, there were people that were getting what was being said. Because they were, they were, they were catching the ramifications. They were seeing, well, this is what's transpired. And here is somebody who's recognized that the Lamb has in fact come and taken the book. This just isn't a, this isn't just a, a fantasy, but this has happened. And so they're saying, now that this has transpired, in light of everything Brother Bradham has said about that particular event, do we even need to continue as evangelists on the field? And so he says, in this hour, of course, certainly, by all means. Now think about what's true. He's going to preach the seventh seal that night. He's preached these, the six seals already. And now there's just such a, 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 an atmosphere and an expectation. Should we, should evangelists continue on the field? So it's speaking about what should we start doing now? And what does this mean to our future? He says, of course, in this hour, certainly by all means. And he says, don't change a thing. Now ponder this and are thinking spiritually now. He says, don't change a thing. If Jesus is coming in the morning, preach today like it was going to be 10 years from today. But live like it's going to be at this hour. Now, I want you to think deeply about why God would allow this question to be asked and to be answered. 
And why, and what it is that's being projected in the way that Brother Branham answers this question and what it means for us as believers. He says, preach like he, it's going to be 10 years from today, but live like it's going to be at this hour. Don't get scrupled up now. That's what I'm trying to warn you about. And we'll read here in a moment what he said at the very beginning of that sermon as a warning. He says, that's what I'm trying to, trying to warn you about. See, just don't be odd, peculiar. Don't change nothing. So he says it again. But if you're doing something wrong or doing evil, repent. Come back to God. So if, if you're doing wrong, repent. Change that. But if you're if you're doing the things that the word requires of you, if you're walking in the right path, he says, don't change anything that you've been doing. Continue on your evangelistic service just as you always did. If you're building a house, put it on, to, on up. If Jesus comes tomorrow... Be found faithful at the duty. So the things he's emphasizing now, in light of what we can say, Brother Bram said it's the most sublime act in Scripture. The highest. The most sublime act in Scripture has transpired. And the Lamb has taken the book. Otherwise, Brother Bram couldn't preach the revelation of the seven seals. And so now, as he's saying this, in this very this moment, this very time, he's addressing our daily life. He's saying, don't change a thing. Um, don't change nothing. If you're building a house, go ahead and finish it up. And he says, be found faithful at the duty. If you're building your church, go on, put it up. I'd rather be putting my money in something like that than be found with it, with it in my pocket. See, so just keep on, continue as you are. Everybody understand now, continue right on. Just go right on as you are. Now, just don't stop. Don't do nothing. Just go right on just as you are. Keep on serving the Lord. This is now, for instance, if you were working for a man and you know it was 15 minutes before quitting time. Well, you'd say it's just 15 minutes more. So I might as well just go over and sit down. You'd get docked for that 15 minutes. If you're planting wheat, plant your wheat. If you're digging potatoes, go on and dig them out. So you who are spiritual know where I got my farmers from. If you're planting wheat, plant your wheat. If you're digging potatoes, go on and dig them out. And I want you to think maturely about this and spiritually about it. Why would God have Brother Branham answer this question this way and make reference to these different things? You say, well, nobody will eat them. That don't make any difference. Dig them out anyhow. Just continue on as you are. And he says, if I know he was coming tomorrow and I was a farmer, I'd put my crop in today. And that's a very profound statement. If I knew that it was going to be taken off this earth tomorrow, I would do today what I was supposed to do as if it was 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I'm not going to change the way I live. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. I'm not going to change what God expects of a Christian. If I had, if I had some knowledge that tomorrow I wouldn't be here. He says, I'm going to be found faithful at my duty. If I was a farmer, I'd put my crop in today. If he made me a farmer, I'm going to stay right at my duty. That's right. If he made me a mechanic, he says, we must be a sane, solid Christian. And I'm put here to work right up to the last minute. I've got a job to do and I'll be found right, found faithful at the post of duty. If he comes this morning, I want to be standing right here in the pulpit. You say, Brother Branham, if he's coming this morning, shouldn't you be out there? No, sir. This is my post of duty. I'll be standing here right here preaching when he comes saying the same things I am. 
Then when he comes, I'll just move right on out with him. If I'm hoeing potatoes, I'll just be hoeing away just as hard as I can. When he comes, I'll drop the hoe and take off. You remember in the Jubilee year, if they was hoeing with the hoe, they kept on hoeing. They know the Jubilee year was maybe 10 minutes more and the trumpet will sound at the Jubilee year. They just kept on pitching hay or whatever they was doing. But when the trumpet sounded, then they dropped the pitchfork and gone. That's it. Just keep on pitching hay until the trumpet sounds. Now, what I would ask you to do is to right now, just let go of any preconceived ideas or carnal narratives about the coming of the Lord, any denominational traditions related to the coming of the Lord, and let this part be personal. What Brother Bram would say, let it be personal. Because there's uh, one thing I really enjoy about a gift of God and the gifts that you have in this church, even beginning with your pastor, is they take the message which we've heard, and we've heard it time and time again, and they're able to take it and then share and, and then preach the word to where we feel that we're seeing it just exactly like Brother Branham was seeing it, and it means more to us than when we heard it the first time. Because it's given, it's given this relevance like, oh, I just kept thinking it meant that. But then it's brought with an anointing, with an understanding to rightly divide it. You realize, oh, Brother Brandon just wasn't trying to find a cute way to answer a question and use an analogy so that we could understand just keep working. Because he's not just saying just keep working, we'll work till Jesus comes. He was actually expressing something about his coming. Don't change a thing. Don't try to be auto peculiar. Don't change nothing. Be found faithful at the duty. If you're planting wheat, plant it. If you're digging potatoes, dig them on out. If I was a farmer, I'd plant my crop in today. If he made me a farmer, I'm going to stay right at my duty. I've got a job to do. I'll be right found faithful at the post of duty. And so we want to think deeply about this question and the answer. Because it is the tactic of Satan. This is one of Satan's tactics. To create the wrong expectation in order to let you down. Just think about his first tactic with Eve. I, he built up the wrong, he built up a false expectation. Hey, did you not know when you do this, this is what's going to happen and, and this is what's going to be. And that's exactly what Satan will always try to do is create the wrong kind of expectation only to let you down in the end. And it, when this happens, it discourages us. And the more often it happens, it hinders us. And one of the worst things that we can do is let the, the devil create our expectations or let the world and let carnal things begin to build our expectations. Because if you chase after something in the world or you try to live your life according to some carnal expectation, it's only you're only going to be let down. You're only going to experience failure and that's going to discourage you. So the wrong kind of expectation hinders us. And you might have even thought to yourself, and I, I, I know how that God deals with my heart. And sometimes you realize when God drops something in your heart, you're like, you know, there's somebody that's going to shift in your seat as soon as you say this. I'm like, oh, who's been talking? But there might be some who are actually thinking in a sense, well, nothing big happened. We've had camps before that seemed to be bigger than that. And we've had moves of God that seemed to be greater than that. And there might be some people even sincerely saying, I didn't see anything big. Did I miss something? And some might even heard the testimonies. It might even have been somebody who wasn't at the camp and they begin to hear the testimonies and say, well, that doesn't sound to be too great to me. And it's because sometimes we're expecting something really huge and really great and we get something small. And so we make comparisons between the expectations and what we get. And we have more of an appreciation for the carnal than we do the spiritual. And it always seems greater when it's carnal. And I'm going to be drawing much of what I'm sharing with you tonight from these things that Brother Bram says and just this question and answers on the seals. 
Because then in, in the 40 questions later, Brother Branham's asked this, Brother Branham, will the dispensation of grace be over after you open the seven seals? Again, this is somebody who's getting it. This is why the very same people hear Brother Branham preach future home and those messages there in the summer of 64 and recognizing your day and its message and feast of the trumpets and he preaches going beyond the camp. And someone asked, Brother Branham, is the Laodicean church age over? Well, do you know why he was asked that? Because he said it was over. And so they were getting what he was saying. They were, they were understanding that there's been, he's saying it's over. And Brother Branham's saying, well, it's not over because we see Laodiceans everywhere. But we're recognizing our day, not the night, our day and its message. And there's a bride time. There's a bride selecting time. Brother Brandon began to call it a bride age. And and so this is somebody, too, who's also kind of getting what Brother Branham's saying and maybe not necessarily uh, understanding what the implications are, but wrestling with the implications. So they're saying, well, we know the lamb has come and taken the book. Do we even continue to preach? And Brother Branham says, yes, you do. The lamb has come and take the book. Does this mean grace is over? And Brother Branham says, I hope not. Why would he say, I hope not? Because he knows this event means has ramifications. It has consequences. That's why he comes and preaches a sermon called Souls in Prison Now. And when he preaches Souls in Prison Now, he doesn't say, you know what? I might have been wrong about the whole lamb taking the book thing. It's not what he said. He said, if he's, if this is what his coming is, if this is what the, if this is what's transpired, oh, this could mean that we're preaching to the eternally lost. And he's wrestling with these very things. So brother Branham, will the dispensation of grace be over after you've opened the seven seals? I hope not. No, no friends. Don't get that in your mind. Just go right on. And then he says, dig the potatoes and go to church and write on. So he's speaking to farmers again. He says, if it takes place in the morning, you'd be found doing just exactly what you're supposed to be doing. There's a tremendous reason why Brother Branham is saying these things. He says, don't start. And it's, it's a fragment, so he doesn't say anything other than what he might have been saying is earlier about don't be peculiar, don't be odd. He says, when you do, you twist the very thing away from the purpose that it's intended for. See, if you, if you twist, if you, you, if you don't, if you stop working, if you stop laboring, if you stop doing the things that the Bible requires you to do, if you stop, if you let off from the things that, that God uh, wants to put in your life and wants you to achieve, he says you twist the very thing away from the purpose that those things are intended for. And we're viewing this not through the light of some other age, but in the light of this hour. In the day to know how to walk, how to walk in the light, to know where I'm living, what age I'm in and how far up the road I am. And we don't want to twist away from the very purpose that all these things that we do in life, whether it be go to church and pay our tithes and participate in feet washing and communion and all the things that we do as a Christian in our service and the ordinances that we keep. It all has a purpose. You can look into the scripture and find that the very purpose of holiness, the very purpose for dressing the way that the sisters dress and keeping the standard that we do in terms of holiness is the expediency for the body change. I, I don't view it. I, I don't view it outside of anything else other than God wants us to take everything that has transpired from the moment that he said, let there be and now bring it to the final climax of redemption when we step into a new body. So just dig the potatoes and go to church and go right on. If you stop doing those things, you twist the very thing away from the purpose that it's intended for. You get little peculiar thoughts and you get your own ideas about things. Don't take your own idea. Just you sit and listen to things like that. Just when you sit and listen to things like that, say, thank you, Lord. I'm just going to walk a little closer to you. 
He says, don't quit work. Don't quit work and say, I'll sell out everything. In other words, if it's, if there was, he, he puts it this way. If Jesus Christ was coming in the morning, in, in the idea that people would have that, that coming to be, do today what you would do is if he was coming 10 years from now. Do, do the same thing you would do. But what you, what you do today is he says, you ought to live just as if he was coming this very hour. Live like it's going to be at this hour. And he's saying, as you, what that means is you don't stop working. You would ask yourself, well, what am I supposed to be doing? What, what is, should I be undertaking? What should I be pursuing? How should I be living in this very moment? Uh, uh, even with this very thing imminent, I should be living. I should be working. I should be doing what was expected of me. And Brother Branham says that makes this statement the very, very beginning of question and answers. And that's why he makes reference back to it. This is what I was saying earlier. That's what I'm trying to warn you about. He says, now take my advice as your brother. Don't put your own interpretation to anything. You just go on and live a good Christian life. I, I want to say this and just drop this in so that maybe this could kind of relieve some people's anxiety about where I'm going with this. Brother Bram is saying this. Uh, don't put any interpretation to it. Just go on and live a good Christian life. Because it's going to be the life of that good Christian that's the proof of what's happened. You don't put any interpretation into it. Because God interprets his word by bringing it to pass. And so the manifestation is the interpretation. And so if you live the life that God wants you to live in the light of the hour that we're in, then you become the very interpretation of the things that Brother Bram's looking at. So he says, just go on and live a good Christian life because you'll only wind yourself away from the real thing when you do it. You only wind your way, uh, wind your way again away from the thing. So there's a real thing. There's a real objective. There's a real purpose. And if you take the wrong approach, then you actually get further away from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish. And I can say this, and I, maybe there might be many here who know exactly what I'm referring to. But some of the biggest scarecrows that have been erected against the truth... Are the people who said, oh, look, the seals are open and these things have transpired and then reverted back to unsanctified living. Let go of evangelism, let go of spreading the message, let go of doing all the things that were taught in the message. And so then whenever you go and you preach something uh, that comes from this open book and you preach things that are in the third pool in the open of the word, they're like, oh, we've heard this before. Oh, and we know what that's going to end up being and we know what comes from that. And I like to say, you know, you haven't seen it then. Because if the life wasn't behind it, then they were just parroting what somebody else said. So he says, and all of you are conscious and know that there's something mysterious happening. And it is happening. And I know what it is. He knew what it was and what he had been told. Don't you say anything about it. You made a mess in the first and second. You tried to explain too much. And he was under a commission. Brother Bram knew exactly what it was. So much so that even after he preached it, he felt bad about it. Took a part of the seventh seal out. Re-recorded another part in a hotel room. And said, replace that part. I think I said too much. And the part where he thought he said too much was, this is the third pull. 
And those parts of it and the very things that many people today are still looking to happen. And listen, there's a lot of things that people are looking to happen in this message that in reality, what their testimony is, is that Brother Branham failed. And he has not failed. The forerunner did his job perfectly. He finished it. He did it. Nothing else needs to be added to it. Brother Branham doesn't need to come back and say, well, now's my chance to introduce him. Brother Branham did exactly what he was supposed to do. And so he says, no, you're conscious that something mysterious has happened and it's happening and I know what it is. It's been told to you before, so just don't try to put any interpretation, but just believe me as your brother, we're living in a great hour. We're living in a time where the, well, we're, well, you just be real humble. He knows what it is. And now he says, well, you just be real humble, be a Christian and try to live for God and live honest. And I know people who've actually taken these very things and they've actually closed the seventh seal book, the book, the book, the revelation of the seven seals. They've taken these very things that Brother Brown's preached and they said the seventh seal, the se- all those things, we don't need them. We just need to live humble. We just need to be real Christians. But this statement that Brother Brown's making to us about just continue on as you are, just be faithful at the duty. If you're a farmer, keep farming. It only makes sense if you've got that first part right. We know something great's happening. We, I know what it is, and you may not know what it is, but I know what it is. So whatever you do, in light of this, keep living a Christian life. Just be real humble. Be a real Christian. Try to live for God and live honest with your fellow man. And love those who don't love you. He says, don't try to make any, you, you see, you do, you only make it a mysterious thing and mess the real program of God up. Remember how he prayed at the end of 1962, raise us up higher so that we can see you and your program. The open of the seven seals is God's program for the bride. And we, and, and we had been brought up higher uh, to see the program of God in the age that we're living in. And he's saying that if you, if you change these things and you're not humble and you're not living a life and you're not honest and you're not doing the things that are expected of you, then you mess the real program of God up. And this isn't just Pentecostal holiness doctrine. This just isn't uh, independent Baptist doctrine. This is, he's not going back to a day gone by, but he's given us context for the things we believe, the way that we ought to live, the things that we aspire to achieve. And you'll find that there's a constant theme of staying humble, being simple, continuing to work and to live. Through the, through the very question and answers that we're reading to you from, and even through the seals, because it was part of God's program. He even begins the week on the set of the seven seals with God hiding himself in simplicity and revealing himself in the same. So Brother Branham, in answering these questions and even making reference to these This warning, just go on and live a good Christian life. The word speaks in a manner to create the right kind of expectation. And then the proper conduct to it. Gives you the right kind of expectation. And then is ordering your conduct so that you can see that come to pass. He says you twist away. So that if we don't have the right kind of expectation. And we're not living the right kind of life. We can actually twist away from the purpose it's intended for. 
So if I could put it this way, when Brother Branham says, just keep planting wheat, keep digging potatoes. If he made me a farmer, I'm going to stay right at my duty. If I'm hoeing potatoes, I'll just be hoeing as hard as I can. Dig potatoes, go to church, go right on. If you stop doing that, you twist the thing away from the very purpose that it's intended for. Then I say there's a purpose in farming. There's an intended purpose in the, in the process of sowing, watering, cultivating, and harvesting. There's a purpose in being engaged in that exercise. There's a reason why there's certain things that we do um, out of discipline and things that we desire to achieve. Because there's a purpose in the action. There's a purpose in the activity. There's a purpose behind the standards that we're taught. There's a purpose why we apply the token in our homes. There's a purpose to all these things. All these things. Paul is struck down by the pillar of fire. Paul is, 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 is his prophecy is a revelation for today. And Paul has this caught up into the third heaven and, and speaks of these great things. And he's a man who's bringing tremendous revelations to that first church. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because it was relevant. These things are relevant for us. And... As he's bringing this purpose, you twist from the program or you twist away from the very, from the very purpose that it's intended for. Something that hinders young people tremendously is frustration of purpose. And it really, it hinders any work. If any work seems purposeless, then the person engaging in it is not going to be satisfied with the labor. And so any work that you would engage in, if it does, if it seems to be without purpose, then, then it loses, it, you lose your enthusiasm for it. And then the job either doesn't get done or doesn't get done right. And I feel, I feel very compelled to say this, that the frustration of purpose often begins on the parental level because our children aren't understanding the purpose of things. And so the things that we ask them to do, don't they're either not worth doing to them, or they're not fun in doing them, or that they don't have purpose. And I have not to say fun, that may be the wrong word, but there's not there's not a motivation to it. The motive and objective is unclear. Uh, why are we doing these things? Why are we engaging these things? And if the parents live aimless and don't have purpose and don't have vision, don't have direction and don't have discipline, it's the children that taste it the worst. You're adults. You're going to recover. You're going to have certain disciplines. You're going to have certain, uh, even if it's just pride that says, well, I want to do that. Everybody will know I'm backslid. Whatever it is, you may get away with it. Our children don't. The Bible says the fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, what the daddy eats, it's the children who taste it. And so there's a one thing that we've got. I want just to kind of gather from this is purpose. And purpose means intention or aim or goal. And it's the, 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 the combination of the prefix per to put forth and pose to put or to place. We're going to, to put or place something to purpose something as a verb is it's the design of it to design it. So your purpose or a purpose of anything, but your purpose relates to its design. You've been designed for a reason. Amen. You're here for a reason. You're young for a reason. You're single for a reason. Whatever you are, who you are is for a reason. God made you that way for a reason. Sometimes we don't want to be who we are because we don't understand the reason why we are that way. And God has made some of you young people uniquely and given you certain gifts and given you opportunities. And maybe some of you have suffered greatly as a young person. And you know, I wish it wasn't me. I wish I wasn't, th- wasn't this way. God wants to use that. Yes, he does. 
God wants to use that. And the things that you've suffered, the things that you've endured. My title for my first message was Born into Chaos. And originally it was Born into War. Yeah, right. And some of you are coming to the age of accountability and a consciousness about relationships and, and, and politics and, and decisions. At a time when there was a lot going on in your personal lives and in your church life. And you endured scars and complexes. And a lot of things transpired you. And it was an effort of the devil to see that you wouldn't be sitting here tonight. And in the beauty of God, the way he works is when Satan does something and he thinks it's his greatest attack, God just takes that and says, I'm going to use that. Thank you. And we can all sit here tonight as Joseph, even to brothers and say what you meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God has used. And therefore I can forgive. Therefore I can let it go. And forgiveness doesn't always imply reconciliation. Because it's only by the word we're reconciled. And so there's what the things that have transpired, the things that have taken place. uh, You have to understand God's made you for a purpose. And he's even allowed things to transpire in our lives because he wants to use it for a purpose. Listen, at that very moment that the devil and all those that follow him are cast into the lake of fire. There will not be one thing he can say as he descends into that pit. Oh, but remember. Nope, not one thing. Everything he could bring up said God used. What about God used? What about God used? What about God used? Time and time and time again. Your God, because of his love for you, is going to take everything that's been trying to use against you. And God is going to use it. And the secret is you just letting him. Just yield to it. Let him use it. Oftentimes what we try to use it for is just as an excuse. But if we'll just let it go, God can use it for something great. Purpose relates to the design. To put forth and to place. It speaks that a purpose is to place something in a position to accomplish a specific goal. You've been placed in this time to accomplish a specific goal. God wants to use your youth. I'm going to wait until you, until you get older to use you. He wants to use it. I was thinking of this, and I'm not saying it is, but could it be? That there's going to be a moment where at every age there's the expression of Christ. That there's, 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 a, there's the expression of Christ. Everything's in order. And Christ is perfectly expressed through his body. And now the sickle is thrust forth. Because it's ripe. It's expressed. It's reached its full and supreme expression. Faith has been made perfect. Like I said, I'm not saying it is. But could it be? And it's often hard to find purpose in the now for young people. Because there's so much emphasis placed on the things that are to be and being an adult and the responsibilities that come with certain ages and certain thresholds. So it's hard to find that there's real purpose and meaning in the time that we're living in. Why does it matter what I do today? Because in our minds, when we make that statement, we think that way, tomorrow's always more important. I'm just 14 years old. I mean, what do you expect of me? And why do I have to do this? Why do I need to do that? Because tomorrow, when I get older, when that time comes, that's the time to worry about these things. That's the time to, to take care of these things. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it, it, it me if the dead rise not? 
Now, to me, I think this is remarkable that Paul, when trying to figure out what advantage is it for him to fight and for him to wrestle, and what he brings into view to give make sense of everything he goes through is the resurrection. And he's bringing this to us, and he says, because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a body change chapter. And he actually comes to verse 58 in there, and he says, let us be steadfast and unmovable in our labor for the Lord. Be steadfast and unmovable. With the, the change of our body in view, let us be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So if you can even start being spiritual and kind of connect this, do you see a path to that change already developing? Stay steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that God is faithful and he will not forget your labor and your labor is not in vain. Your labor will be fruitful because a farmer's labor is fruitful. And so he says, if the dead rise not, if there's not ultimately a resurrection, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If you don't have the right objective, if you don't have the right goal, if you don't understand that what you do today matters tomorrow, he says, then just eat, drink, live however you want for tomorrow we die. If we don't understand the future, then what happens is we live without aim. We live without direction. I think I've said it here before. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. And when you live without direction, you're just subject to the whims of your flesh. The desires of your flesh, how your flesh works on you, what you want, what you want to do that day is what feels good, what feels right. What you want to achieve, what you want to experience. You just let the flesh kind of dictate the path you take because you don't have an objective. And you don't consider, well, doing this isn't expedient to where I'm going because you don't care where you're going. And if you don't care where you're going, it's easy to get caught up in anything that comes your way because you don't think about life choices. You don't think about attitudes. You don't think about consequences. It just, this is what I want to do today. This is what feels right. This is what's good. This is what I'm enjoying. I'll do it today. I'll worry about the rest later because you haven't lined yourself up to the path you ought to be taking. And so if you don't have aim or direction, you're subject to your flesh. And one thing we do, and I, and I want to just kind of try to stay, take a step further in this. One thing we do is we tend to overthink the past and the future. We're constantly going back over the past and we overthink the past. And what people tend to do by overthinking it is we tend to make it either worse or better than it actually was. But we're overthinking the past, overthinking the past, and then we're thinking so much and overthinking the future. And so we overthink the past, we overthink the future, and in doing so, we undervalue the present. And this is a question I know we've all asked, and some of these, some of us may have asked it a little bit more recently. Oftentimes in school, we're being taught something, and the question is, how am I ever going to use this in real life? And the first problem with that question is, this is real life. So that's the first part. How am I ever going to use this in the real world? In school, that is the real world. Wherever the believer is, that's reality. We don't have a fantasy and a real, when you come to church, this is real. When we leave, it's fake. No, your your life is real. And when you're in school, this is the real world and God wants to use it in the moment that you're in and what you're hearing and what you're experiencing. God wants to use it. It's a part of your life. It's part of God's program. It's relevant. And we're asked a question, when am I ever going to need this? How am I going to need this in real life? And what you don't realize is that is real life. That, that function of learning and processing and thinking and analyzing or whatever you're going through, whatever that discipline is, this is real life and it's an exercise to prepare you for the next stage of real life. 
But yet we tend to ask the question, how am I ever going to use this in real life? And that's in the context of school. And then sometimes we even ask the question of standards and rules. And um, I, mom, I want to go do this. And the answer is no, I don't want you to do it. Well, why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? Why can't I go to South Padre Island in Texas for spring break with all my friends? Why can't I go? Why does it not matter? Why does it matter? And I think the answer would be the very fact that you don't know why it matters is the reason why you can't go. <laughs> Listen, as parents, we've got to be good gardeners. We've got to get, be good farmers. Because you're tasked and you have the responsibility of keeping your child's uh, land, their garden, free until the time that they can make that decision in the age of accountability to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so in this thought of overthinking the past and present and undervaluing or the past and future and undervaluing the present. And we don't, and we have, what is, why does it matter? And when am I going to use this? We're looking to the future, but we're doing it without vision. We're thinking about consequences or we're thinking about implications of things, but we're doing it without vision because we're actually questioning the moment and questioning the exercise that we're currently in. And listen to the statement Brother Brown makes in the message, come follow me. He says, youth, men and women for tomorrow. He says, if there is a tomorrow, we must train them, Lord. We feel that burden to train them like there will be a tomorrow. So that speaks to the, the adults, the parents and the elders that we have a responsibility, not that we, well, it's a good thing if you can, we must train them. That's the reason why there are winter camps and there are summer camps and there are youth meetings. And one thing I've noticed about Brother Bisco's ministry and the, uh, and the decades that I've heard it, he often speaks to the young people while he's ministering and ta- addresses you and looks to you because we're not just, you're just not there filling a pew now and hopefully one day you'll be the deacons and the song leaders and the preachers and the musicians no you are here now being trained now being instructed now receiving things you need now because your response in the now is reflecting and manifesting christ today your attitude to the word of god matters today it's pleasing to god today these these camps are not about tomorrow they're about today the follow-up wasn't just to do it because it came on the, on the minds of Brother Biscoe, but it was because it, what happens today matters in the future. Amen. Brother Branham says we must train them. We feel that burden to train them like there will be a tomorrow. He says of the men and women for tomorrow. But that doesn't diminish or devalue what you are today. It just shows you that you're relevant not only today, but tomorrow. And the success of tomorrow rests entirely, entirely upon the foundation of right now. That's, that, that's why we're, we're here, because of what has been. What is, become, what has been, the was becomes the is. He that was and is and is to come. The was has become the is, and the is will become the will be. It's all, it's all connected together. But there's a fatal flaw in human thinking. And this is what Brother Branham calls it here in the message reproach for the cause of the word. And this is um, December 23rd, 1962. That's my brother David's birthday. Happy birthday, David Jr. He says, men are always the same as ever. 
not saying he was born in 62. I did that one time. I thought, we didn't know you were 80 years old, Brother Aaron. I was like, no, it's, I was just saying that's April 16th my birthday, not whatever it was. Men are always the same as ever. Now, I'm going to say something again, and I don't know whether it's being taped or not, but if it is on tape, I want you to listen at me, you on tape. Don't you miss it, but study it. Man now is always like he's always been. He's praising God for what he's done and looking forward to what he will do and ignoring what he has done and is doing. He praises God for what he has done. He looks forward to what he will do, but he ignores what he, what God is doing and there he misses the whole thing. And he says, I hope you get it. In other words, men praise God for what he has done. So he's done this and then looks forward to what he will do. But ignore what he's doing now. And because they don't see what he's doing now, they really didn't see what he did. And they'll never see what he's going to do. Because if you don't know Christ today, then you really don't know Christ yesterday. And you'll never know Christ forever. So if you're ever going to see Christ, you need to see him today. Because it's not good enough to praise him for what he's done. And look forward to what he'll do. Because if you don't see him now, then you don't really see what's been. And you'll miss what will be. Because he says in there, he misses the whole thing. So you're, it's impossible to worship God correctly without seeing him today. He says, I hope they get it. See, ignoring what he's doing. Man knows, he says, he knows what he has done. And he knows the promise that he or God will do. But he fails to see what he's God's doing. He says, oh, you Pentecostals. If you're not an example of that. You're looking forward for something to happen, as always, happened right under you, and you don't know it. Why? Because there was their messenger to the Laodicean church age, rebuking them, calling them to repentance. And since they didn't catch that, they missed Revelations 3.20. Because they didn't see that, they couldn't catch, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, oh, you Pentecostals, let me say this, if... Pentecostalism is referred to, and uh, I've even learned myself that there's a lot of statements that you can take, and necessary statements that Brother Bram's trying to identify where Pentecost fell, the era of Pentecost, and Pentecostalism. He says you can't feed the bride of Christ Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism doesn't have anything to do with the manner of worship, and the way that songs are sung, and a style of worship. Pentecostalism is simply a failure to walk further in the Word of God. Pentecostalism is failure to walk in further light. That's what Pentecostalism is. Brother Branham says in the message, doors and doors, he says, they always miss it. Man is forever praising God for what he did do, looking forward to what he will be and ignoring what he is doing. That's just the nature of man and he hasn't changed his nature, the man of the world. If you can't see Christ today, how are you going to know him tomorrow? He says, this is the nature of man that he praises for what he's done, looks forward to what he'll do. But he, since he doesn't see him now in the now, then he misses what's been done and he'll miss what will be. Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter nine, verse 62. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Since we're speaking about farmers in the rapture, I feel the scripture is appropriate. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back 
is fit for the kingdom of God. He, in the image that he, the picture he paints through these words, the eyes must be looking forward to the purpose of the labor. So he has to have his hands on the plow. And he has to be set in the row. And he has to be conscious of what he's doing now. But he has to have purpose in the labor. Because he's not looking back. There's no regret. There's no reluctance. It's not like, oh, do I really want to do this? Or oh, I'm just not sure. Jesus is dealing with this attitude. You've got to be all in. You've got to be focused. You can't look back. You can't regret. But in drawing this picture of a farmer who has his hands to the plow, he says he puts it on the plow and he's to keep his eyes going forward. A farmer, once he's embraced the plow, he doesn't look back. If he looks back, he's going to vary his line. But he knows where he's been. And if he, if he grabbed the hold of that plow correctly, he had his eyes forward and he was going to stay straight and he knew where he wanted to be, then he doesn't need to look back. What's one of the things Brother Branham tells us that when a farmer plants a crop, he doesn't dig it back up and to see if it's working. He knows what's been sown and he just acts in the present with confidence of what he's done in the past to produce the crop that's going to be. And a farmer doesn't look back. He knows where to place his current steps. And when he steps, he has purpose. When he steps, he has intent. And he's deliberately acting in the present tense with the, with the row, the entire row before him. And he has the harvest in view. Otherwise, what, what kind of labor would that be for a farmer? 11 months out of the year, the things that he does, if he didn't have that harvest month in mind. It's what gives it meaning. It's what gives it purpose. And so you can't just sit around and wait for that month to come. I have to work. I have to labor. I have to function. But this is all worth it. This is all for an exercise. This all has meaning to it. So he acts deliberately. And he has the furrow there in front of him. And what he does, he has the harvest in his heart. But he acts now. He has to act now. If he's going to enjoy what's in the future. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.10, He that ploweth should plow in hope. Now, what Paul is saying in terms of the, the support that ought to be given to the man that ministers, this is a principle I think that just fits for all of us as farmers in the rapture. He that ploweth should plow in hope. You should be laboring in hope. You should be working with expectation. You should be conducting uh, um, the things that you do in the works of Christ with an understanding that there's good that comes from this. There's a positive benefit. There's something that I'm to reap through this. And he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. So the one who labors should envision his yield. And the one who's laboring should also enjoy the harvest. Partake in it. Because the farmer knows what he has sown and he understands the hope of the plowing. It may be hard today, but it's going to be worth it. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we can make as a Christian on any walk of life is to not be willing to make the sacrifice today for the benefit of tomorrow. And that's what it means to be proactive. I'm going to make the hard decisions now with my children. I'm going to set the standard now. I'm not going to deviate from it now just so I can have a few hours of quiet. I need to maintain it now and it'll reap dividends later. Maybe harder to parent now. It may take up a lot of your time. You may not have time to pin things. You may not have time to uh, to send snaps or whatever it is the, 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 the young mothers do these days. But if you make the decisions now and sacrifice now, you save yourself more work later. So it gives purpose to the labor. It gives purpose to it. Brother Bram says in the message, possessing, possessing all things. Did you ever think 
what you're here for? What are you going to school for, children? Thought for sure I'd get at least one. That's right. But what are you going to school for, children? Then he says, what are you working for, dad? What makes you get up, mother, in the morning, get the kiddies to school and wash their face and make up the beds and cook and do it all? Come in, wore out that night, and the next day start the same thing. What do you do it for? Can you answer that question? Not right now. What do you do it for? What's the whole point in all of this? Why do you labor and slave, dad, and everything? Come in at night weary and one of the kids gets sick and you walk the floor and cry, pray and struggle and they get well and then back and you do it again. And every Sunday you wash their faces and get them down to church. And well, what's it all about? What are we here for? Is that all there is to it? Is this all that there is to life? Is the daily grind of getting up in the morning, getting ready, going to work, sending the kids to work, doing the domestic duties, coming home at night, and getting ready to do it all over again the next day. That becomes a chore. That becomes a strain. That's what causes mothers to say, I don't know that I can do this. This is what causes strains in marriages. This is what causes the children to be set on edge, is when we don't understand there's a purpose to every single bit of it. Because Brother Bram's conclusion wasn't, so let's just stop going to school. Let's stop washing the kids' faces. Let's just all go find a nice place we can live off the land. That's not what he's trying to say. He's saying that the things that you're asked to do and the things that you do every day mean something and they matter. They have purpose behind them. If doing it is what it's all about, what it's all about is just doing it, then there's no purpose in it. And then it becomes a chore, it becomes a grind, it becomes a labor, and that's when you lose your joy for the things that you ought to be doing. If you don't know why you go to church, then that's why you don't enjoy church. You don't know why you're here. Listen, some people live to go to church, and I don't think that's right. I go to church to live. Because I understand, now, I live differently when it comes to eating. I live to eat. (laughs) When you ought to uh, eat to live... But I'm working on that. But when it comes to spiritual eating, I understand. I'm not living to go to church because church doesn't mean anything. At the end of the day, oh, man, you never missed a service. Come on in. No, that's not it. When you realize what God is doing in your life and the purpose of the word of God, the real relevance of the seventh seal manifests itself Monday through Saturday. It's not for good church services. It's not to have great meetings. It's not for the dynamics of a church service. No, it's for life lived. And so I go to church to live because it enriches my life. It instructs me as a husband, instructs me as a father. It tells me how to act as a brother. It corrects me in my variances through my life. And then I get to live that word through the week. And so I go to church to live. I just don't live for church because if you don't have the proper perspective of church, you won't get what you need out of it. And we come to church to feed on the word of God so that we can live the word of God, not just hear the word of God and enjoy these neat things that people bring out. I can remember in my, when I was married, I, Elizabeth would ask me, I, I'm still married. <laughs> Woo, honey, I love you. I preached some meetings one year and uh, I had, I had, uh, the meeting started on a Friday. Sister Elizabeth and the kids couldn't come till Saturday, so I left on Thursday and I told the church the first night of the meeting, it's just starting, I said, I left my wife recently. And everyone's like, why is he still preaching our meetings? And I said, and, but she'll be coming tomorrow. <laughs> what was I talking about? I don't even know where I am on my notes. Or... 
But I would, Elizabeth would ask me, she'd say, honey, what are you preaching? And I'd tell her and she goes, she would say, okay, what's the point? And I appreciated it. We're not just here to share things that sound cute. Like, oh, wow, man, I've, I've never put that together before, man. That's awesome. No, it's about life. And when Brother Bram's asking these questions, what it's all about, and, and gets right down to where we're living and these things we do on a daily basis, one of the, uh, as I said, a thing that hinders us is the frustration of purpose. And that's kind of where I'm ending up in that very, very line, is Brother Bram was talking about purpose and intent and the things that we're doing, and it's the now, the purpose of today. And now another thing that hinders us, another hindrance is this, the grandiose expectations about the future. Whether you call it the pie in the sky, but there's a, these ideas of these, it's going to be this way, and it's this far uh, flung ideas, and we paint these pictures, and this is what we want it to be, and this is what we expect it to be. And you say, oh man, this is going to be lit, this is going to be it right here, this is it. What's coming up, this is the way it's going to be, this is what I'm expecting, this is going to be epic, and then it happens, you're kind of like, eh, I don't know. Because you build up these great, huge expectations. I think I said it before here one year about the Instagram Jesus. They try to make the picture about Jesus and everything. Well, who wouldn't love this man? And listen, our lives, by virtue of social media, those things that we're looking at in social media, they're carefully curated in such a way where you don't see the real picture. Everything's filtered. Everything's done where the, the difference between the picture and the reality of it. They know how just to take the picture where the pool looks like the infinity pool and it looks beautiful. It looks expansive. It's like, oh my, it just ends in the Rockies. This is great. And then you see it in real life and it's just like this little narrow puddle up against a brick wall. And they use forced perspective and camera angles and filters. And you're like, man, this is beautiful. I want that. And then you labor and strive for it and you get it. Like, this is nothing like it was cracked up to be. I want my money back. Too late. And so what we're doing is we're building up these great, huge expectations about certain things. And it hinders us because just as we said earlier, the devil creates unreasonable expectations only to let us down. Say, this is what it's going to be. This is what's going to be. And then it is. And you're like, this isn't what you said it was going to be. And he's like, well, joke's on you, man. <laughs> and we tend to, and I say uh, all of us, we really need to think hard about this. We tend to have our own definition of what would be great. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And then we build a desire to achieve it. And as we mentioned before on the Saturday when we preached earlier this year, how that that one young girl had formed herself in this world and she lived there. It was all based upon certain plans that she had, a way that she thought it should be, some expectation. And this is the way it had to be. She had to marry this boy. This is how it had to be. This is how it was going to work out. And this is what she wanted. And she formed herself in a world that didn't exist. And that's where she lived. And she lived there. And in living in that place, she had this uh, 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 these grand ambitions. I'm going to be this. This is what I'm going to do. And it became, even in, ultimately for her, she lost her mind. And if we create the wrong kind of expectations, we're going to be let down. If we create the wrong kind of expectations, we're never going to be able to reach them. You're not going to be able to hit the target. And we become discouraged, we become uh, maybe uh, discouraged from going in the way, from working, from laboring. But if I could say this as the greatest danger of these grand illusions or these grandiose expectations is that God hides himself in simplicity. That's what God does. And because that's where he hides himself, that's where he reveals himself. You'll find him where he hides. 
right? And he hides himself in simplicity and he reveals himself in the same. And so God hides in simplicity. The devil thrives on complexity. Where there's complexity, where it gets complicated, where you have to come up with this and come up with that. And you're always, you always have to keep modifying to make sense. You don't just stick with the message, stick with the way that it's preached. This is what Brother Branham said. Well, that causes problems. Well, he said it. I don't need to try to figure this out. But could it be what he was actually talking about is in some ethereal sense that a woman could do this and a man could do that? No, he said what he said. This is what it is. And the devil lives, hides in the complexity, lives and thrives in the complexities. In question and answers on the seals, as we've been reading from that, Brother Brown says, when God predicts anything great to happen, the people are looking so far away by their wisdom till they miss what happens. Great statement to make at the eve of the opening of the seventh seal. When God predicts anything great to happen, or the preaching of the seventh seal, when God predicts anything great to happen, the people are looking so far away by their wisdom till they miss what happens. When God promises something big, it is big in his sight. When God promises something big, it's big in his sight. Not big in the eyes of men, it's big in his sight. And the devil is doing his best to try to obscure God through complexity. Cover up Christ, make it complicated, cause confusion. Try to figure out there's no way to it. Oh, this is confusing, I don't understand this. That's where the devil lives. God hides in simplicity. And where it's simple and where it's humble, that's where God will reveal himself. Brother Bram says, and I am the resurrection and the life. God is not complicated. People sometimes want to make him complicated, but he, God, is known in simplicity. We look over the top of him trying to find him. We're looking right over him and he's right here. We're looking for something great to come and it's already come. We're expecting something fantastic, some pie in the sky, some grandiose thing to come. And it's already standing right here by us. Sometimes we're praying for God to give us something great because we think we need. And the very simple answer to our problem is right there next to us. And we want God to come in some great way when that's not the way that he comes. When God promises something big, listen, it's going to be big, but it's going to be big in his sight. Man looks what God does and say, well, that's just idiotic. Brother Man used the word ignoramus. That, 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 that's not great because to man it's small and then god looks at what man calls great and he's like that's nothing what do you want to see i want to see what he sees i want god's great not man's great i want what he has for me even if the world calls it small listen i know the world is looking at you and friends are looking at you and families looking at you and it might be other churches looking at you saying you're just simple you're homely you don't do this you don't do that we're having more fun why are you doing this why are you doing that and they make it small but listen it's not small you might look small to the world but you're big to god because what we have in this room tonight is enough to bring about the change and draw the rest from the grave and go in the rapture We look over the top of him trying to find him. He's so simple. He makes himself that way. It's the devil who complicates it. In the third seal, Brother Branham talks about how it's so humble, so simple, people walk away from it. And that's what people do time and time again. Because they haven't recognized the real awakening of the bride. They see this, but it's not great. In the message, The Curtain of Time, Brother Bram says, don't try to go away and get all these big educations and scholarships and know God. You don't know God by scholarships. You know God by faith. Amen. 
You believe him and God reveals himself to you. He says, I like that, don't you? He's made it so simple, so humble. Now, so humble and it's so simple till the wise people can't understand it. It's so simplified till the wise don't get it. They try to make it complicated to the church. Listen to what he says. They try to make it a great big lots of sanctifying things you have to do and stop this and do this and all this, that and the other. Why it's not at all. Just believe it and accept it and that settles it. And God comes into your heart and he takes care of the rest of it. So the rest has got to come. But it's not you adding to it. That's what Brother Brown says in the statue of a perfect man. You add nothing. You're going to tell me that the statue of a perfect man is me picking up the things that I need and adding them to me? No. It starts in faith and he says you add nothing. You're not a blackbird putting in peacock feathers. You've got the life and then the life adds itself. Because notice it says, add to your faith virtue. It's his faith he gave you. He never asked you to add faith because he gave that to you. Because the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the seal of the faith. And so you've got that. Then he adds. Try to make it a big, lots of sanctifying things you have to do. Stop this, do this, do that, and the other. He says, just believe it and accept it. That settles it. God comes in your heart, and he takes care of the rest of it. If he can ever gain a place in your heart, then the rest of it will take care of itself. Young people, get it out of your minds that you're going to work your way to this. You're going to yield your way to it. And listen, every single bit of it is going to be the action of yielding. The deeper you get in God, the more dependent you become on Him. I've developed a saying at home when Brother Bram said the bride or the church could sit hour after hour drinking in the Word. And so I, I, I give notice when I'm in the after hour. And I'm, I'm in the after hour now. So I guess we'll find out who fits that quote. I want to say this very quickly, cover this very quickly. In Christ's first coming, the biggest, biggest stumbling block to receiving him was the way he came. In his first coming, the biggest stumbling block to seeing him, recognizing him, receiving him in his coming was the way that he came. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to skip very quickly to this. Brother Bram, in the same sermon, question and answers on the seals, said, now they had it all drawn up. He'll have a spear that'll reach a mile long. He'll stand back over here in Palestine, just stand up there on one of those white clouds and pick up all these Romans like this and cast them into hell. Just keep doing it like this till he gets them all over. Why they had that all fixed up. Think of the image of the coming, how grand it was going to be and how tremendous it was going to be and how epic it was going to be. He says, and what it was as a little lamb come moving out among them, meek and gentle a little lamb moving out among them meek and gentle pushed around this way and that way now this to me is the real heavy statement even john said go ask him is actually he the one on the fifth beatitude he says blessed are he who is not offended in me john was offended at the expression of his coming wasn't what they were expecting wasn't happening the way they thought it should happen this, this wasn't what we thought would be the, the, the climax to our church ages. This isn't what we thought would happen when the Messiah would come and the kingdom would be restored. We had this worked out very, very differently. And since it didn't fit their expectation, their grand ideas of the Messiah, what they did is just say, 
Forget it. And then the even forerunner, based upon the prophecies that came out of his own mouth, he's the one that said, behold, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But he didn't even understand that. Because when Jesus said, I need to be baptized, he didn't say, that's right, the sacrifice needs to be baptized. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what are we doing here? He didn't fully even understand the things he was saying. And Brother Branham says about the Elijah forerunner that he actually said, go ask him, is he actually the one? So humble till that prophet missed it. The expression of his coming was too simple. The purpose of his coming was too odd to be the lamb, the sacrifice. It didn't conform with their typical uh, traditional expectations. And if I could say this to try to make that relevant, don't let the devil put the same veil over who you are. You need to simply be who you are. You don't need to be anybody else. You need to be who you are and who God made you. To you, you want to see what's promised for the day. You want to know what the light of the hour is so you can know how to walk in it. You want to know where you're living, what age you're in, how far up the road you are. The time that you've been born into, the purpose of your coming. Esther came to a time in her life just living. Here she is. She's an orphan, essentially. Just living a simple life, an ordinary life, and then some very dramatic things are happening in the temple. Uh, things are taking place. Things are transpiring. And the whole nation has moved. And now they want to find a wife for the king. And this just simple, humble, ordinary girl, her name meaning Hadessa, a myrtle tree, root-bound, common orphan girl, all of a sudden gets picked to join with the rest of them. And she's the one that's chosen and exalted from the earth to the stars. Just one day living her life, doing what she can. For Mordecai. And then all of a sudden she's picked and she rises to the kingdom. And here she is. She finds herself in this place. And there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of things taking place. And death is imminent for her people. And they're all going to die. And the prophet says, you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. God's saying the same thing to you young ladies, to you young men. You've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. God wasn't, God was, knew you would come at this time. You remember Brother Philip's testimony that Brother Manasseh shared? How he's sitting there and he testifies as he's laying there. And I was perhaps going to use this later, but we'll use it now and I may use it again. He's laying there in bed and basking in the glow of God, speaking to his heart and seeing God move. And he begins to speak and testify how happy he was that God brought his mom and dad together when they did. And that he was born when he was so that he could be old enough to be at the camp at the time he was. Now there's somebody who's looking at the past and looking at the future and realizing the difference it made now. His family, the family dynamics, the coming together of mother and father and mother. And what was going to be like, I've been brought to this for now. Young people, you've come to the message for a time like this. For such a time as this with death hanging over the world, you've been brought to the kingdom for this time and this hour for a purpose and for a reason. And that should give meaning to every single one of us. Brother Branham says in the message, things that are to be. And I want to just lay this in here. In God's kingdom, it's remarkable how it works. In God's kingdom, we remember our future. It didn't work that way in the human kingdom. And in the world, the past is what shapes the present. But in God's kingdom, the things that are to be changes what are. It's the things that are to be change what is 
And it's that, those things that will be is what make, is making what you are now. Why? You're going to a kingdom of holiness. So what changes now? Holiness. You're going to a kingdom where there is no sickness. So what changes now? My body, my health. What will be changes the way things are now. What will be is holding a power and an influence over you. Why? Because what will be is going to impress upon you. And they're going to join together one day. So what will be is changing what is and changing the way things are. And that's the mind we ought to have as young people. I'm not living just because I want to enjoy today. But I know what will be and what will be is changing me today. And I am reflecting home. I'm reflecting that eternal kingdom I'm going to go to. Because I've been taught by this message that the eighth day has already dawned in my soul. And I'm wanting this character to catch up to it. Because one day I'm going to rule and reign in the millennium. And the things that will be are changing what is. And this is what he says about you young people. You are nothing but the manifestation of the gene of life that was in God. As a son of God, he says, now you are expressed after his word has come in you to light up this age. You are expressing God's life in you because you are a son or a daughter of God. Therefore, you get what I mean? You are now made. You are sitting in this church tonight. You don't know why you're sitting here tonight? Because your duty... Is to express God to this nation and this people and this neighborhood where you associate. Amen. Wherever you are, God knew that you would be here because you have to be one of his genes or his attributes. Your duty as a 12-year-old is to express God. Your duty at 13, 14, 15, 16, might as well say 8 years old. It doesn't matter what age you are, 78, 93. Your duty is to express God. In the time that you're living in, in the season that you're living in, in what you're going through, in what you're experiencing, in the challenges that you're facing today, right now, your duty, what God has raised you up to do is to express Him. And I know it seems far-fetched for the young people, or it seems too big, but you're missing the purpose. You're missing the simplicity. Brother Bram says in the church age, but God's intention for his creation. This is what God intended by his creation. Man, this is God's purpose for man, is to express his words. Think of how he could have done it. But he chose man to express it. And I'm not just talking about a preacher. I'm talking about you. Man and woman. His purpose was that his words would be expressed. Adam was given the word to live by. A life... Lived by the word would be the word expressed. A life lived by the word would be the word expressed. Jesus came and said, I am the resurrection and the life. The, the, the resurrection had to be lived first. A life lived by the word would be a word expressed. Now I'd like to take go back to my text. And draw, if you could draw your minds to the text here, as we're just going to bring these things to a summation. I try to do this very quickly here. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says, I have provided me 
the king. If you could just think about it. The very moment God says, I've provided me a king. There was a young boy. Sitting in a pew in a church service on a Friday night. Just going to church because that's what everybody else was doing. But God had provided him a king. And we know the stories we've already read in the beginning and you know it very well. The king that God chose was David. And David was a sheep farmer. And when the prophet came to Jesse... And he knew that his son had been chosen. He immediately looked at the oldest and the strongest and the, the most capable, probably the one that looked the most like Saul. And immediately he's like, now this has got to be him. God said, no, that's not him. He said, don't look on the outside, his height, his stature, the physical things. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looks on the outward appearance. He's looking for something great in his own eyes. But the Lord looks on the inside where the simplicity, something's hidden in the simplicity of what's on the outside. That's why the image of Samson's wrong in movies and books and everything when they show him with muscles. Because then there would be no mystery to his strength. But the mystery is the fact that that much strength could be in such a small man. David's a sheep farmer. He's a young person. They can say very comfortably that he was from the age of 10 to 15 years old. And I want you to think about this. And this is very important for the foundation where we're going with this in the next two services. What was David doing? When the prophet came. What was he doing? You're going to be anointed king. On the day that you're anointed king. What should you be doing? How should you be preparing? What should you be wearing? how, How should you go about your day? And the day that he was anointed to be king. David was in a field tending sheep. Doing what he was supposed to do because the Bible says he's a he tends the sheep He's the keeper of the sheep. That was his duty in the family. That was his responsibility David was the shepherd boy And so on the day that he was to be anointed king all the other sons left whatever they were doing and they lined themselves up And first second third fourth all the way to the seventh and sam was like none of these guys him. You've got to have another son. He's like, ah, i've got an eighth one. He's a young guy. He's out right now tending sheep Why why didn't he get included? They probably thought a shepherd boy David still looks like he was newborn with his red cheeks and everything. And he's, and even the Bible says it's not really a compliment. He was a good looking kid. You know, he's cute, he's comely, and he just had this look about him. Ooh, David. (laughs) This wasn't good. They wanted a man who was rugged, tall, broad shoulders. And this kid, hey, the prophet comes, he wants to look at the sons. Let the keeper of the sheep stay in the field. And you can read there in verse 13, we're in. He is anointed to be king. And listen, that crown is the last thing that David ever had his mind on. He just wanted to obey his father. He's a boy of faith because he heard the word rehearsed in his home. And he's listening to these things. He's doing the things that he ought to do. And he finds himself in the field. And when the prophet beckons him, he comes and stands before him. And he's anointed with oil. And now David, a 10 to 15 year old boy, has been anointed with oil at a winter camp. And now that he's been anointed with oil, David leaves. And he says, Mom, this is my house now. We're going to make changes around here. I'm the king. No, you know what David did? He went right back out to the same field. Went right back out to the same sheep. And he began to tend sheep. Because when you read later on in the chapter, it's in verse 19, that when they wanted to summon 
David to King Saul. They called him out from the sheep. David returned back to his ordinary life. And I want you to think about these significant events in David's life. It was just an ordinary day. In an ordinary field. With an ordinary boy tending sheep. And I want you to ponder that story and think about how the devil tries to trivialize your normal everyday life. And do not despise the small things of your everyday life. Do not despise the details of this message. Do not despise all the little things that come with it, the small, precise things, the precision that comes with the word of God, the details that the word of God covers. David's out there just in a normal, ordinary, everyday life. My wife Elizabeth was talking about how that when Sister Ruth has given her testimony to Elizabeth on a number of occasions and they, she talked, Sister Ruth Bisco often says, we were just ordinary people. We weren't doing anything great. We weren't chosen of this and recognized in that. We were just living ordinary lives. We're just ordinary people. And what look at the word came their way. And still, just ordinary people, just doing ordinary things, just doing what we believe is right. And look how God comes and what God brings from it. I have a saying that I use when we engage in this process that Brother Branham is talking about. Do you ever think what we're here for? What do you go to school for? What do you work for? What are you laboring for? If you don't know why, then you live a shampoo life. Which if you follow the instructions on most shampoo bottles, literally, you lather, rinse, repeat. Right? So you lather, you rinse, you lather, you rinse, repeat. You just you keep doing it. You just repeat it over and over and over again. And many of us are just living a purposeless life. Going through life, meaningless repetition of the same thing every day. And really there's no end till the bottle of life runs out. And you're done. And Brother Bram says, if you only look for today, you'd be a miserable person. Look to the end out there and then live for that out to the end. If you only live for today, you'd be a miserable person. So, but you have to live today. But you live today in view of tomorrow. He says, look out there to the end and then live, which is today for that tomorrow out to the end. Live today like tomorrow matters. Don't try to live tomorrow today. Don't try to make today something that's not. You just have to do like David did. What did his father require of him in that home? To go out there and tend the sheep. And it was doing what was expected of him in his everyday life. That something significant happened. And he was anointed to be king. And he knew one day he was going to sit upon a throne. And in the meantime, as a young boy, he had to keep doing what he was doing. But one day the throne was coming. Listen, bride of Jesus Christ, you have been anointed by the open of the seventh seal. You have been anointed for the throne, but keep living the life. Brother Branham talks about in harvest time. He says it's Malachi 4. Doesn't Malachi 4 teach us? Because we're in harvest time. The great and terrible day of the Lord shall come. That's th- that this will take place. How many knows that? And you restore the hearts of the children of the fathers. Is that right? The faith of the original Pentecostal fathers. And in that day, Luke 17, 30, Jesus said, when the son of man is being revealed, not man, the son of man, not an organization, the son of man, the word living itself again among the people. And he says, the word itself made flesh in you. 
No wonder they wanted to live in this age. The word made flesh in you. You are a reflection of this hour. The message reflection of it. You are the message of the hour. You are the reflection of the word of God today. He says you live again. You live the life that was in Christ Jesus. You are in the presence of the son. You are in the presence of the S-O-N. In this harvest time. And what is coming to manifestation? You are. He said a life lived by the word would be the word expressed. That's what's required. A life lived by the word would be the word expressed. And your duty is to express God to this people, to this nation, to this neighborhood where you associate. Your duty is to express the son of man. That is not the office of a prophet standing on the platform, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. That part has been manifested. The sign has been given. But now he's in your flesh. Why? Because you are the expression of his coming. You are the expression of the Son of God in this last day. Here you sit today with the great commission to express the presence of Jesus Christ. He promised he would come in the form of human beings. To reveal himself in the stream of human beings. And here you sit tonight with this great commission. That's what you're set here for. And that's how your life matters. And I, I have to share this before we close. We'll invite the musicians to come. And... And in doing so, perhaps create some expectation for a close. (laughs) Listen to how profound this is. Brother Brown says it's an unveiling of God. Because when you talk about the revealing of the Son of Man, you talk about the end time and the coming of the Lord, or you talk about uh, a faith being restored and a power of God moving and living the life. There's all sorts of interpretations and ideas and expectations. But listen, the bride don't play tricks for anybody. The rest is every parable in the Bible, every type of the Bible is made right here before us, is made manifest right here before us. The same God on the pillar of fire that wrote the Bible, both in Old and New Testament, is right here and manifesting it, showing just exactly what it was, interpreting it right back to make sure that that's the interpretation. We got the interpretation, then let's see it happen. He said, that's it. Let's see it made manifest. Manifest. Jesus said, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. See, it's got to be proven. But now not proven like Jesus, they'd have put a rag around his head and he hit him on the head and said, if you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. And if you're the son of God, turn this bread. See, that's the devil. If you're the son of God, come off that. So that's the devil tries to create some false expectation. And you've got to achieve that in order to be what you say you are. And they were trying to get Jesus the word for that day. That was the word coming in that day. Right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was made flesh. That was the word coming. His first coming was the word coming. And it was made flesh. And they tried to get him to play tricks. Well, if you are, then do this and do that and do this and do that. Because we can do it. Can you do it? He says, see, that's the devil. I mean the revelation that he's supposed to do. That's what it is. You're to manifest the revelation of the word of God, not play tricks for the devil. It says, but now as revelation sin is revealed, the mysteries of God is made manifest, known as the seven sealed book promise. Now let your faith in him who is the word. 
Because in Revelation 19, when he comes, he's going to be called the word of God, riding upon a horse and the followers of heaven will be behind him. He says, break the denominational veil of education. Break the denominational veil of tradition. Break those veils that's hiding him from you. Young people, you should ask God to do that, to break any veil that's hiding Jesus Christ from you. That's what's going to give life meaning. That's what's going to give school purpose. That's what's going to give family dynamics meaning. Is when you can see Christ in all of this. Break the veils. Break the veils. Break the veils. He says, break those veils of pride, you women. You are king's daughters. Act like it. Live like it. This is the revelation that he's supposed to do. Not play tricks for the devil. Not just try to have some kind of charisma or some kind of fantastic. But to live sweet, humble lives. Break every veil. No matter what PhD, LLD, it's, if it's contrary to the Bible, break through that veil. For we've crossed the riven veil. We're on the other side, on the other side. And you will see, if you'll just do that. Break those old traditions and things and come to him. You'll see him standing. The mighty conqueror. The word of promise for this age made manifest. Can we sing this song or play the song Winds of Faith? The word of promise for this age made manifest. When you can break the traditions, let the veils fall away. He says, you'll see the mighty God unveiled. See him right among us here. Unveiled the mighty God unconquered by traditions. Where are you going to see him? I can look at an empty choir stand and I don't see him. But when you fill it up, when he's in flesh, when he gets in your flesh, that's how you see him standing. When the spiritual revelation of the Son of Man comes, it's got to come through a prophet. So who did we see in that ministry? A Son of Man revealing the Son of Man. Now what do we see? Him lived out again in your flesh. Your life matters, young people. Brother Bram says this at the very end in question and answers on the seals. He has a prayer line. It's several minutes long. A prayer line. Brother Branham's prayer line. And you listen to how he did a prayer line. And all the ministers are lined up praying. May you receive your healing. May you receive your healing. And they pass through the prayer line. It's a rather lengthy prayer line. And then he stops. He says, oh, at the very end of the service, he says, oh, isn't this wonderful? I believe that if every person that come by here this morning under this tremendous anointing, I believe if you'll just, he says, now, don't look up. For some great big something. Just remember. The simple thing of believing. What he promised. And he says now let's all say it together. And he says. We do not look for something big. But in Jesus name. We receive his promise. Maybe we could say it all together. We do not look. For something big. But in Jesus name. We receive his promise. And he said, that's it. That settles it. That makes it over. Don't look for something big. In man's eyes, look for him. Let's stand to our feet.
Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. If anyone would like prayer, I would like to solicit you to respond if you can to the desire to have God break veils. Whatever is hiding him from you. Say, I don't see him. But you want him to make himself known. Could you just lift your hand tonight and say, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see the mighty conqueror in my life living in me. Living through me. Our gracious heavenly father. At the start of this weekend, Lord, I have delivered the things that you heavily impressed upon my heart, knowing that it would perhaps be lengthy, that some of the subject matters might seem to be upper level, a deeper course and weightier matters. But Father, we are speaking to young people who've been born in a different season. And it's the time now to speak to them maturely. For Father, they have endured things that prior generations have not endured. Just as prior generations endured things that we're not enduring. And it's in this uniqueness of the time that we're living in. That you speak to us in a way that meets the challenge for the time we're living in. And Father, your prophet is taking time in that sermon. Just before he preaches the seventh seal. To emphasize the necessity and the importance. I'm not looking for something big. But just believing. Father may we not create unreasonable expectations. May we not allow the devil to frustrate our purpose. And father may any veil that's been placed over these young people. To cause them to look for something big or to look for something great or any veil that's hiding you in simplicity. That's keeping you them from seeing you. Lord may it be broken in this moment. Lord, if there's been a young girl who went through the winter camp and said it was nice, it was good, but I didn't see anything big, may she still see you. Lord, a young man who's like saying, well, now what, Lord? Now what do I do? What's next? Lord, may he go like David did to the fields you've called him to and do what's expected of a 14-year-old. Father, what we're learning from Scripture, what we learn from questions and answers on the seals, is even in light of the great truths that have been brought to us, we don't change Christian living. We don't change our objective. We don't change what we're doing. We just change our purposes and the reasons for doing it. And Father, I ask that you would change behaviors tonight from youngest to oldest. That as it's even been mentioned already, we're gathering together, not just as young people, but as a family, a church family, gathering together as individual families. Lord, if you want to speak to us, speak to us. We do not have any idea or preconceived idea where it has to be this way. It has to be that way. But Lord, we want the word and the word alone. We want the word to come and speak to our hearts. Father, you have readied us tonight to take you at your word, to believe all things are possible and to let you do what you want to do. And Father, if you have planned something big, then let it be big. Lord, if you desire it to be big, then let us see it when it comes in its simplicity. Because it's big in your sight, Lord. I commit these young people to you, the parents that sit so patiently behind them. And Father, I pray that you move in a tremendous way in our midst. 
And now, Father, as we lift up our hands to worship you in this moment, after the word has come forth, may you seal these things in our hearts and bring the clarity and by revelation in the things that we need. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Set your wings.